0: Hey everyone, this is Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey, Joe. How are you?
1: I'm so good. Yeah. I'm happy to be on the line with some really cool people today. Well, with you too. That always makes yeah, me. Happy. Me,
0: yeah, me and stuff like that. And you know what the thing is today, Megan? We have a true cause marketing superstar. That's right, as we say in Boston on the line. And on the line with us today is Clark Sweat, who is Chief Corporate Partnership Officer for Children's Miracle Network. Hey, Clark, how's it going?
2: Hey, I'm doing great, Joe. Good.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you on, Clark.
2: Thanks, you. The, you know, I really appreciate that.
0: You are the man.
2: That's right. You are the man. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, coming from Joe Waters, that's, that's even more more special than ever. So I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> I mean, I heard, I mean, through the grapevine that that $4.3 billion that Children's Miracle Network has raised since its existence, they owe it all to you.
2: Oh, well, that's good. I, you know, I got a few people <laughs> I, I would like you to send letters to with that fact. To, to that would be great.
0: <laughs> uh, hey, how long have you been at Children's Miracle Network? No.
2: You know, I've been, uh, this is kind of my second tour of duty. So uh, I was originally with CMN Hospitals from 1996 until 2006, so about 12 years,
1: and then I left and
2: went to uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and ran the Thanksgiving program there for about four years, Uh, left there, did a little consulting for a couple of years, and I've been back at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for about two and a half years now.
0: Wow, that's great. I didn't realize, Megan, that Clark had such a long stint. I didn't. I did not either.
1: You learn something new every day. Now, Clark, are you originally from Utah?
2: I am yeah Utah. So you know that's why we moved back. I loved the my work at St. Jude, it's an amazing organization, but it was time to move back to uh needed some mountains. I couldn't quite live in the flat uh, the flat area of Memphis anymore and so we came back to the mountains and and uh we love being back here.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, uh, two great organizations, that's for sure. And I mean, we could have a whole show just talking about the cultures of those two organizations and comparing those. But of course, we want to focus on Children's Miracle Network today. And, you know, one of the things I'm interested in about Children's Miracle Network is you guys have just raised so much money uh, through the years. And how much did you raise just on the corporate side this year, Clark?
2: So this year, just on the corporate side, it's about 205 million altogether. Wow. The total for the organization is 341, and about 205 of it that's coming from corporate. Wow. And wow. that's that's,
1: that's a really unique for a nonprofit too. And how much of that is is that 100% at point of sale?
2: No, it's probably about. Uh, if you looked at it, it's probably about 90% of it is coming from point of sale. So I mean, I think um, we have probably the largest program out there when it comes to the point of sale type stuff. Mm,
0: that, you know, it, it's interesting with the point of sale. How long has, has your, pro, your point of sale program been around since the founding of Children's Miracle Network?
2: You know, pretty much. We've been an organization for about, I think this is 32 years, something like that. And uh, I would say our point of sale really kicked off probably 25 years ago. So yep. it's kind of been our DNA. Yeah.
0: all right, And just so uh, listeners know, too, when we talk about point of sale, we're really talking about anything that happens at the register. And in the case of Children's Miracle Network, we're talking about pinup programs. So when people come to the register, they can buy a signature balloon from Children's Miracle Network for a dollar. They sign their name to it. And usually it's displayed somewhere in the store. And, you know, one of the fun things, I think, too, uh, Clark, if you're a cause marketing uh, dorks like Megan and I are, (laughs) is the the changes over the years in the Children's Miracle Network logo. Like, you know, I'd love to have like a pinup from every year oh, from yeah. Children's Miracle Network because they have kind of evolved. And I love the new look uh, because I just think it looks so progressive and modern and fresh. And uh, But that's really changed through the years.
2: Yeah, it really has. We've changed it. Um, I mean, I was going back to looking through some old files and I could find four different logos you know, in my roughly twenty years. And um you know, it's it's the evolution of the cause as well. We started out right. as a telethon and um, you know, the really the telethon took place at Disney World. So some of the original logos that we have actually have the uh the castle in it from Disney. And then wow. we moved away from that and about three years ago we launched this uh this kind of new look and feel And, uh, it's been good for us. I mean, we're a little unique. Um, we try to push the local hospital logo Mm -hmm. ahead of our national brand. And so this new logo gives us the ability to do that. I'm so
1: glad you brought that up because can you talk just a little bit about that? Because that was one of your big ah ahas, right? When you were raising money at point of sale with consumers was realizing that mentioning that local children's hospital was far more effective than just saying Mm -hmm. children's hospitals are sick kids.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we call we call local our superpower at, at CFN Hospitals. I mean, really, we have the national brand, which is Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. But you know what that really means is here in Salt Lake City, it's Primary Children's Medical Center in Baltimore, it's Johns Hopkins in Philadelphia, it's Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and and we know that our point of sale campaign is going to do better if uh, you know the cashiers and the uh, customers know where the money is going. And so we promote the brand of the local hospital kind of first and foremost. It creates some mm-hmm. challenges for us from an execution standpoint, but we think it's worth it.
1: What are the challenges that it creates?
2: Well, I mean, the challenges are when you look at our program as a whole, I mean, we send out, you know, that of that, let's say, 205 million that we raise in total, um, I would say probably about uh, a little less than a half comes from the actual pinups. And mm-hmm. The pinups are all co-branded with the local hospitals, so that means we do. Um, let me give you a few stats. We we do probably about five thousand different versions of those balloons wow. um, because you have an individual company who has their own version that yep. usually has coupons or something that's unique to that corporate partner on there, and then each of those may have a hundred hospitals that they support. So there's uh, you know a lot of different versioning that we have to do. So. Probably about 12 years ago, we really had to go find a a printer that could help us do that and to fulfill Mm -hmm. it. I mean, we're sending Mm -hmm. out... We're sending out roughly about, gee, 75 million pinups a year to about 65,000 retail locations. So (laughs) I'd like to be
0: be the point person on that one. No, thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, logistics are a little intense, but but it's all good. I think that's where the strength of our program comes. Mm.
0: You know, uh, Clark, let me ask you something. And I get, you know, when I talk pinups to a lot of people because I really believe in them, um, you know, because they raise so much money and they are very effective and stuff like that. You know, I get uh, my share of eye rolls and stuff like that from people when I talk about those programs and stuff. But why do you think uh, pin-up programs in particular and point of sale in general is still so effective? Why does it work
2: you know, I think it's, I, we get that same thing too, right? So and mm-hmm. I speak, I've spoken a lot and a lot of people, you know, you've got your kind of a, your purists out there, your elitists yep. who really want to just focus on cause marketing. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. From our mm-hmm. opinion, we kind of go where the action is. And when, yep. you, when you look at some of the stats, I mean, I'll give you, a, you know, a quick stat about Walmart. They do 140 million transactions a week and we do a six-week campaign with them. So our campaign doing a pin-up program or a point-of-sale campaign, Campaign with them uh, generates about sixty million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. There's no way we could raise that kind of money if we just went to the company and asked them to do a cause marketing campaign. Right. So, yep. the, the money is just you can't, you really can't dispute the money. And if if your job and most nonprofits' jobs really first and foremost should be raising as much money for their cause as they can, yep. um, you know, it's, it's, they're hard to beat. Yeah, um, you're, not gonna, uh, you know, thing, you're not gonna raise okay. that
0: with a hashtag program.
2: No, no, like, no not I at mean, all.
0: I, ha- I think hashtag fundraisers, and we've seen some great examples actually uh, this December about it. UPS actually has a good one out uh, with the program and stuff, and they're great, and they do raise some money, and they are important and stuff like that. But when compared to point of sale, uh, uh-uh. uh,
2: no. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, it's it's you really just can't generate that kind of money because you don't you can't get that kind of traffic and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of volume, and you know the other thing about them is they're they're really kind of recession-proof. So, you know, 2008, 2009, things were getting kind of ugly for a lot of nonprofits. up campaigns did great, uh, because mm-hmm. people, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna give a dollar. And so mm-hmm. people that, uh, if they get asked, you know, they're gonna give. And even if times are tough with them, um, It's amazing when we start running our stats, some of the areas where we have retail locations that are in some of the poorest neighborhoods are by far the most generous with these types of campaigns because, you know, the the people who live there have relied on help at some point in the past and they they feel like, hey, I can give a buck or two to help somebody else in the future, a little bit of pay it forward. Yeah, right, right. They don't give the most, but they give
0: what they have.
1: Yeah. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things that we've been seeing a lot out in the blogosphere and media and social media recently is just criticisms about point of sale. You know, you're bullying people into giving money and all of this. So what are you guys doing internally to ensure that when people make that ask at the register, you know, if it, if it is it going to look different? Are there things that you make sure that are in place or that you're thinking about, whether it's something technology related? Like, how are you evolving that point of sale ask to avoid that consumer fatigue, whether it's, you know, a perception or reality, I think can be debated. Yeah.
2: I think there's a. It's interesting because I think you said perception versus reality, and I think that's those are two very different things at this point. Um, I've seen all the studies and I've seen all of the stats about how you know consumers don't like them and they really kind of feel like they're a little bit invasive, and but yet they continue to give. And I and I think the stories that we get repeatedly, um, I can't tell you how many stories we get. From uh, you know the consumers and from cashiers talking about the fact that it gave them a chance to give back and that they feel good about it. So, our our program really starts with an education campaign. Uh, we spend most of our time and most of our campaigns educating um, the store level employees on who we are, what we do, and why they should make the ask. And we also talk to them about what to do if the customer says no. And it's it's okay if they say no. So we we try to avoid the bullying tactics as much as we possibly can. You get some really passionate people, they get very aggressive, they want to try to raise some money, <laughs> and that's always going to happen. But for the most part, I think they, the companies that we work with, we've found a good balance with them where it's it's respectful and um, the cashiers feel good, and the employ- and the uh, the customers feel good about yeah. the fact that they were able to make a donation.
0: Well, I think with these programs too, is they're not inherently bad, but in many instances they're poorly executed. And I think right. you folks are really the model of of how they can be executed well. And I have not talked to anyone who does a pinup program who doesn't have some type uh, a successful pinup program that doesn't have an education program, as you mentioned, uh, yeah. because when they're done the right way consumers can actually enjoy these campaigns. I mean, I've written before about like Shake Shack and uh, Share Our Strength doing their pin-up campaign. And, you know, they do a big education effort and then they also include a $5 uh, coupon um, with the pin-up that gives people a free shake at Shake Shack. Mm -hmm. And people just loved it. They went bananas for a uh, clock and in 10 locations, they sold over
1: $300,000. And they got really Uh, great uh, bounce back on those coupons. Yeah,
0: yeah, they got really, you know, they ended up giving away like 75,000 shakes or something like that. Uh, So when done well, these programs can raise a lot of money and can have a positive influence and impact on the consumer.
2: Oh, absolutely. And we've been doing, um, I mean, I think we've been doing coupons on our balloons for probably about geez, probably 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the the cashiers, it gives them the ability to add some value back to the, the customer. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, you can make a $1 donation, but you're going to get $5 back in return on your next visit. So, Customers feel good about it. The employees are a little bit more likely to ask because they're kind of, you know, in some cases they're selling the coupons, and that's okay. And, uh, you know, the company is happy too because they're getting some repeat traffic back out of it. So, um, you know, I'm looking at a coupon right now that's running in your market, Joe, in Boston yep. at Subway, and it's got a dollar off any foot long for a dollar. I'm, donation. I'm there. So, there you go, Joe. I'm there. Yeah. I'm yeah. there.
0: You know, there's, it's so funny you should say this because I've written three books at my local Starbucks. That's why I've written my <laughs> Starbucks. And now across the street, someone has put in a Subway. There you go. But the yep. It hasn't been open for six months for some reason. I don't know what's going on. But there's one down the road that I'm going to go to, and I'm going to take advantage of that.
1: There you go. Good, good. I I still want to come back a little since I feel like we have the point-of-sale expert on the phone. I want to know what you, you guys are looking at. Like, what's interesting to you out there, whether you're doing anything with it or not? Like, what are you keeping an eye on?
2: You know, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there right now from a technology standpoint about how we can engage you know that customer. Um, you know whether it's a way to prep them prior to being asked at the cash register, or it's a way to um, you know educate them about the benefits of the the local children's hospital and why it's important to to uh, donate. You know I I just you know looked at your your blog the other day, Joe. I was looking at the beacon technology. That's mm. something that we're definitely keeping a close eye on, and we've got a few partners right now that are are looking at deploying something like that in May, which is our kind of peak fundraising period. And you know, I think some of the stuff that's out there right now is really cool. We obviously look at kind of what Macy's is doing right now and, and yeah. their program's very stuff. cool. Yep. Um, you know, St. Jude's doing a really cool program right now with Target that's uh you know kind of a, a oh, game yeah. and it's it's you know, we're looking at that as well. And mm-hmm. the the key really comes down to we want to take our messaging to where the customers are and we use our partners to get that messaging out there. And I think sometimes, at least for right now, I think a lot of it's going to be, more educational than it is actually fundraising. I think fundraising will weave its way in there, but I think it'll be mostly educational as people continue to adopt those technologies. It'll be a great way to acquire customers and get them to use the technology that these retailers have. But eventually it'll, it'll come to a conversion in transaction and transaction and donations will be coming through those.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that's what I find too, is that, you know, cause marketing, it doesn't lead, it follows business. You know, because Mm -hmm. businesses are challenged. They're the ones who are using the technology. They're the ones who are going to say, hey, we have this technology that we have that we're using now. We should apply that to our cause campaigns. And, you know, I think the tipping point for point of sale on mobile is mobile payments. Um, You know, as we become more accustomed to making uh, transactions and doing transactions on our phone like we do at Starbucks every day now because of their mobile payment system, I think the more comfortable we're going to feel like. You know, that we can be in line and like you said, standing in line and there can be something right on our phone that asks us if we want to donate to Children's Miracle Network and we can check off a buck right there on our phone and make that donation. And maybe when we get to the register clock, someone says, hey, I noticed you made a donation. Thanks a lot for doing that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's what's going to happen eventually is that it's, I think the the role the cashier is going to play is going to be more of a thank you and an acknowledgement of the mm-hmm. donation as opposed to actually requesting the donation. I mean, I think right. we'll, we'll get there eventually and uh, it'll take a little bit of time. And, yeah. you know, biggest challenge that we're facing right now as an organization, like from an innovation standpoint is, you know, what does the world look like 10 years from now? Do we mm-hmm. have cashiers. I mean, or do you just walk in and you scan it? Will you touch it next to your phone and you walk back out. So, you know, obviously that would really greatly impact our type of a program. So we're trying to evolve as the industry evolves. Mm.
0: And I think what is so important, Megan and Clark, for Children's Miracle Network, which you have, though, and something I've written a lot about is the importance of nonprofits building their brands, because it's very important. You know, you won't have an employee there to, to ask or to describe the program or or to talk about the partner, people will need to have that type of connection. And, you know, people always say to me, Clark, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but they say, you know, Joe, what's the best way for me to raise more money with cause marketing? I said three things, brand, 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 Uh, because I think that ultimately is the thing that pushes the button for consumers.
2: Absolutely. No, absolutely. If you don't have a strong brand, you can't clearly tell your story and demonstrate that impact. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the, the challenge right there. So yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah.
1: I, I want to talk a little bit about your culture of innovation because it's something at Cause Marketing Forum that John Locke, your CEO, talked a lot about, which was fascinating to hear. Yeah, it was a great presentation. Absolutely. So can yeah. you, can you talk about some of the things that you do within... Children's Miracle Network hospitals to foster innovation and ensure that it's part of your culture?
2: Sure. You bet. So we, we, um, you know, one of the, our our cultural beliefs is, um, we're on a path to be raising a billion dollars a year by 2022. And so one of our cultural beliefs is billion dollar thinking. And the idea is that we want to think big and, um, you know, focus on where we're going to get the highest return on investment in order to do that, we've actually invested in what we call our cause innovation team, which is depending on how you you know John Locke likes to call it the tomorrow team. the team is working on the future, it's really a research and development team, and what they're doing is they're taking a look at you know what's happening in the industry, both with um consumer goods what's happening with uh different segments of the uh, of industry and working at looking at nonprofit profit and how can we take our programs and adapt them and come up with new ideas that will help us generate this billion dollars that we have as a goal by 2022 so what's happened is we've got this team of kind of experts uh there's seven people on the team that follow a process of uh of innovation and it's everything from exploring the, the industry, coming up with questions, uh, coming up with ideas. We do a lot of uh, testing um, on these ideas, and then we actually take them out and pilot them into into programs. So mm. that that culture has kind of permeated throughout the rest of the organization, and it's got us thinking a lot more creatively, and we're... We're a lot more inquisitive than we used to be, and we're we're less happy with the status quo than I think than we've ever been. We we oh, see lots good. of opportunity on the horizon. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. Uh, uh, Clock. Uh, we didn't have that at my nonprofit. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: you
0: you were the innovation team. <laughs> that's right. I was the innovation yeah. team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. no, but I agree. Like I mean, that's the thing though. Is I think as non, I mean, I actually think that like nonprofits are really they really do have to grow in the way that you're growing in order to be successful. Because, you know, one of the things too, I think, Clark, is like a lot of companies are out there, they're kind of doing their own thing now. You know, yeah. there are you know, companies they're not aligning with the nonprofit directly. And you know, and then on the other hand, we have consumers and individuals who can create their own fundraising programs independent of nonprofits. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. I, th- I see that as kind of a squeeze, you know, and I talked about that in my predictions too, is I really do think this is a time of, of, of challenge of crisis for the nonprofit community, because I think there are so many different things coming at it. And I do think, you know, one barrier is, and I'd be curious too, how you folks do with this is like, you guys have an incredible percentage of your dollars that go back to the hospitals and, yeah. uh, which is fantastic. But you know it would another five percent, would another ten percent um, allow you to innovate more so that you could become a two billion dollar organization by 2030 you know yeah. and uh, and those are the types of challenges.
1: What would you yeah, say? Absolutely. What would you say, Clark, to uh, somebody who works at a nonprofit doing cause partnerships that says, "Oh, well, that's really nice. They raised two hundred and five million dollars from corporate partnerships this year. Of course, they can support a culture of innovation because they've got seven people working on this." What would you say to a smaller, or medium-sized nonprofit who just feels so resource constrained when it comes to being innovative and promoting a culture of innovation without a giant budget?
0: Two words: yep. You're screwed.
1: <laughs> thanks joe
0: well that
2: was that was what kind of first came to mind um, <laughs> um, <laughs> No, you know, I think it really comes down to, you know, you think about it, I mean, our organization, of that $205 million that we raise, all $205 million of it goes back to the, the hospitals. Mm-hmm. So we're funded through, um, you know, corporate underwriters and a few other things. So but the consumer dollars themselves, they all go back to the hospitals and we don't get to spend those. So um, they kind of go... St- truly back to the mission. So we're even more cash strapped than I think a lot of other nonprofits are. I think people don't That's really quite realize that about us. But, you know, we just had to make a decision. And, and what we did was we said, based on the limited amount of budget that we do have, um, research and development and having a, a tomorrow team is is critical to us for our success. And so we foregoed other things that were maybe current business um, to to invest in this in this team so but i don't think you have to even if you're a shop of, of one person i think it really comes down to um you've got to find the time to be innovative and usually what that means or what that's meant for us is and i know this is hard for nonprofits to do but you have to be willing to say no sometimes right. you have to be willing when a company comes to you and they have a, pro, a program they want to do that you look at it and you think well it's got a little bit of money but man the amount of time and work it's going to take me to activate this is is really not going to be worth it. Um, Most nonprofits have a hard time saying no. And, And we we've established really high thresholds for companies that we're going to work with because we know that there's an opportunity cost. And if we're busy doing something that doesn't have a high return on investment, we're losing out on on opportunities to be creative and innovative with other projects. So you have to be willing to say no, I think is the key to some of that.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that process? Because you talked about that at Cause Marketing Forum. It was fascinating. And I can't tell you how many nonprofits... I don't know whether they saw your session or not since then have been kind of coming out of the woodwork to talk about minimum donations and all of those sorts of parameters. So can you, can you address that too?
2: Sure. You bet. So, I mean, I'll give you the, the, the snapshot we had, yeah. when I came back to the organization, we had about 120 partners all together. And um, today we have 85 and those, the, the partners that went away uh, 35 partners, we did so deliberately. And, and it wasn't because we didn't, see the good in them and the good in them wanting to give back to the local children's hospital. It's just that there wasn't a good return on investment. Those 35 partners collectively were raising about half a million dollars. And so... Mm ton of work to try to support you know half a million dollars and so we established a threshold of a million dollars to be a partner with us and it, and it's really i wish it was more complex than it is pricing is one of the things that people get hung up on more than anything else but it really came down to we have 170 hospitals uh, they told us that roughly in order for it to be meaningful for them to spend any time help supporting the campaign they needed about seventy five hundred dollars so we did some quick math and we rounded it to a million and and that was it and yeah. What it's done for us is all of those partners that we said goodbye to, um, we encouraged them to go work directly with their local children's hospital, and many of them did. Mm -hmm. Um, We just said, you're not a national campaign. Come see us when you are, um, when you're a little bit bigger.
1: Well, I Um, think the interesting part of that is that, you know, instead of just saying like, well, the threshold is a million dollars, you actually had very basic math, but you had, you know, that proof case, that social impact piece, like this is what our hospitals need. So if you're not able right. to do that, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's really different than just saying, well, our minimum is X because we said so.
2: Yeah. Well, right. you yeah, know, a
0: business sure. will get that too, right? right. Most businesses oh, will yeah. get that. If you explain that to businesses, they're like, yeah, I get it, you know?
2: Yeah, every Every company that we had that conversation with said, hey, I get it, you know? And and many of them did just form partnerships with two or three local children's hospitals around their area and they're continuing to support them. But But what it did for us also on the the partners who remained with us is uh, gave our team the ability to spend more time with them to um, provide them with a higher level of customer service and um, more engagement with the companies. We weren't just, you know, checking the box and, and contacting the people when we had to. We actually have formed true partnerships with the companies who have remained with us, and so um, it's it's rounded out the program greatly. I mean, we we walked away from you know some significant dollars right at the beginning, but we we've seen over the last three years. I'm trying to think of the numbers. We're up about. over where we were three years ago. Um, And so it's, it's because of this higher level of customer service and say no. How
1: how, I just, I just have to keep talking about this because it's so fascinating. How much trepidation was there when you guys made that decision? Like how much gnashing of the teeth and how freaked out were people or were they like, no, this is the right thing to do. We're moving ahead. Go talk to them. Clark. It's not like a
0: natural (laughs) nonprofit attitude. Well, right. right? That's what I'm wondering. I mean,
1: I just, that's the thing. Yeah,
2: yeah, we were a little freaked out. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it was uh, – the biggest concern that we had was we wanted to make sure that we did this in a way that it didn't appear that uh, we were turning down dollars. I mean, we right. don't want to end up as a nonprofit that, well, we're too good to take your money. And we, we told the companies, hey, you can continue to send us the money. We just can't provide you <laughs> yep. marketing support. If you yeah. want to, here's where you send the check. Um, right. But. But you know, and and like you said, Joe, their businesses. They they understood this, and right. um and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, so that was good. So you know, uh, you know, um, uh, Clark's on the job like six months. He's like, yeah, I've lost fifty three. <laughs>
1: <months." laughs> <laughs> <laughs> that's not what at you it now, was. Clark. Yeah. That's what you yeah. now. Yeah, that's Clark's story now. <laughs> and back right, then, yeah. he just actually lost them, and he had to get known to see. That's them. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fascinating.
0: But it's such a smart move. And that's the thing, too, is I I do think is like, you know, more nonprofits need to make better strategic decisions about what they want to do and how they're going to accomplish it and stick to that vision. They need to have uh, some courage in that area and some fortitude. and, And you folks are obviously doing that
2: yeah well, you know absolutely i mean we're we're a business i mean I know a lot of people don 't outside of the sector don 't really recognize us, and quite honestly, some people inside the sector don 't recognize <laughs> that, but you are a business at the end of the day, and if yeah. you 're not getting a good return on investment, on your time, and, and the resources that you have. I think we're actually more sensitive than a traditional business. We have, our resources are so precious to us that we have to make sure that we're squeezing every nickel we can out of the dollars that we have. And you got to make some, some some business decisions to make that happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Fascinating. Well, Clark, this has been an absolutely riveting conversation. Superstar. Thank you. Superstar. Superstar. Thank you so, so much for sharing all this great, great insight with us. If people want to find out more about you or about Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, how might they do that?
2: Well, to find out more about uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, you can go to cmnhospitals.org. And, uh, you know, I would encourage anybody to to search me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn uh, or just email me. My email address is csweat at cmnhospitals.org. So it's C-S-W-E-A-T at cmnhospitals.org.
1: Excellent. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. Yeah. Joe, how about you? Where can people uh, find you online? Woo.
0: Well, uh, minute to minute, they can find me on Twitter at Joe Waters. Of course, you can find me uh, weekly on my blog, selfishgiving.com. And of course, check out my cause marketing uh, boards on Pinterest at pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. Uh, what about you, Megan? Where can they find you?
1: I am also on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for the Cause Marketing Forum at TweetCMF and also blog for the Cause Marketing Forum at CauseUpdate.com. And you can find Cause Talk Radio on Stitcher Smart Radio as well as iTunes. We do recommend you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And on behalf of Clark and Joe and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we'll see you next time.